0: listening to the Central Church podcast. To learn more about Central Church including our gathering times, please visit gocentralchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. Today if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me uh, to the book of Hosea, uh, or turn with me to the table of contents and then to the book of Hosea. Um mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, the table of contents is there to be used, so don't feel bad about using it. Uh, Hosea starts on page 1177 in my Bible. I don't know if that helps you at all. Um, but uh, hey, it's good to see you this morning. If you're new, my name's Ethan, I'm the pastor here, and you've picked a great Sunday uh, to join us to, to start uh, to visit with us today, because we're jumping into a new series uh, this week that's gonna take us through uh, the summer, uh, Summer and the minors, where we're gonna journey through... Uh, the minor prophets of the Old Testament. Uh, Now, uh, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. Uh, So I use social media for three things. Uh, One, to share information about the church. Two, to post cute pictures of my kids, uh, but not the ones where they're crying, right? Just the, the cute ones. Uh, and then three, to complain about the sports teams that I love, right? Uh, so those are really the reasons that I use social media. Well, this week, I was on Facebook and I got a notification. Uh, and this notification said uh, that you have post by people, by friends that you don't normally interact with. And my first thought was, well, if I don't normally interact with them, why do I care? Right? Uh, and so uh, I did what everyone would do. I clicked on it to see, okay, who are these people? Uh, and some of them I recognized. Some of them I knew I should know who they are. And some of them I thought, there's no way I'm friends with them. I don't know who they are. Right? I, I don't know. I've never seen their names before uh, in my life. And so I'm scrolling through and I'm looking and I'm seeing people that I went to high school with and all of a sudden they're married and they have kids and all of these things. And really they're people that I just don't keep up with. I don't really think about a lot. Now I think that for many of us, if we spend time with the Bible, that's probably similar to the relationship that we have with the minor prophets, right? Uh, We know that they're there. Uh, We know that they've got some names that we recognize, like maybe Hosea and Jonah, but then we also know that there's some names that we can't pronounce. There's some, we know what some of the stories are about. We're not sure what the rest of the stories are about. Uh, And so we just kind of tend to ignore them, right? Uh, We just kind of tend to not care about them, kind of tend uh, to not look their way. Uh, But what we know is that uh, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy that all scripture is profitable right? That all scripture is inspired by God. And so uh, what we're going to do over the next 12 weeks is we're going to take and we're going to walk through these prophets. Now, we're not going to go verse by verse through every minor prophet. Instead, what we're going to do is we are, some of you just said, amen, right? I I saw that. Uh, uh, What we are going to do is we're going to look at, and we're going to kind of do a 30,000 foot overview of each prophet each week. So uh, we're going to see what the main idea of the prophet is. And then uh, we're going to see some things that we need to know uh, to be able to understand understand what is the Lord saying through these prophets. Now, uh, before we jump into Hosea, let me give you a little background on the minor prophets. Uh, So our Old Testament and our English Bibles, it's actually structured a little different than the way the Old Testament was structured in Hebrew Bibles. Uh, And so in Hebrew Bibles, uh, the 12 minor prophets, uh, they're not individual books. Instead, uh, they're what is known as the book of the twelve. So they're one book uh, with 12 different sections or or 12 different stories, 12 different emphases. And so uh, we've broken them up into 12 books, uh, starting with Hosea and going all the way to the end uh, of the Old Testament. Now, uh, these minor prophets, the reason we call them minor, it isn't because their message is somehow less important than the other prophets. So the major prophets would be Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, Daniel. These are longer books. uh, That's why they are the major prophets. The minor prophets, they're not minor because their message is minor. Uh, They're minor because they are shorter. That's really the only reason they are shorter. I'm reading Ezekiel. uh, It's part of my quiet time right now each day. Uh, And Ezekiel is a long book. And every time I read it, it gets a little longer, right? Uh, Because it's not always easy uh, to understand. So the minor prophets, they're they're typically shorter books, although Hosea is 14 chapters, so it's a little bit longer. Uh, They're typically written in poetic form, although there will be some narrative. Uh, And typically these prophets, they're not necessarily talking about what's gonna happen in the future, although some of them will hint at what's gonna happen. Hosea hints at what's gonna happen. But typically these prophets uh, are calling out what God is calling them to say in the moment. Right? They're pronouncing, what is God's message for Israel? What is God's message for his people now? And so we're gonna look at the book of Hosea this morning and we're gonna see this truth. This is the truth we're gonna look at this morning, but this is also the main theme of the entire book of Hosea, that God's pursuing grace is greater than our persistent rebellion. God's pursuing grace is greater than our persistent rebellion. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first chapter of Hosea. We're going to read the first nine verses of Hosea, and then we're going we're gonna to bounce to some different places to see some important things through the rest of this book. But let me give you a kind of a disclaimer, a warning up front. When we read the prophets, there are things that we read that are jarring. There are things that we're going to read that we're going to read and we're going to think, what in the world does that mean? Or we're going to read and we're going to think, why would God say that, right? Now, Hosea is a great prophet to start this study with because Hosea might be familiar to some of us, but what we're going to see as we read through these first few verses of Hosea, we're going to see some things, we're going to see some language that is a little surprising, right? We're going to see some language that we might even think is a little PG-13, but here's what we're going to remember, whether it be in Hosea or Habakkuk or Joel or Amos. What we're going to remember as, is that this is God's word and God's word is good. All right? Uh, so let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect, precious, and profitable word here in Hosea. We're going to read it down, uh, the first nine verses of Hosea. Uh, the Spirit says to us this morning, beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Biri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel, and on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I'll have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I I will not save them by bow, or by sword, or by war, or by horses, or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you for your good word that is true. Uh, Thank you that you speak to us even now. So Father, we pray that you'd be this now, that you'd speak to us through your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. As we look here at the book of Hosea, uh, we're going to see a few things that are important for us. And, and what we're going to see is we're going to see some good news, we're going to see some bad news, and we're going to see some great news, okay? Uh, so the first point, the first truth that we're going to see is this. We're going to see God's pursuing love. And see, Hosea is ultimately about God's love. Now, he uses this family of Hosea and Gomer, he, he's going to use poetry, he's going to use a story. But all of that is to point us to the truth that our God is a loving God who pursues us in spite of our rebellion. In spite of the ways that we reject him, in spite of the ways that we run from him, our God is consistently pursuing us. Now, as we look at the book of Hosea, this prophet is actually fairly unique among the other minor prophets. I said earlier that the reason the minor prophets are called minor is because they are short. Well, that's except for Hosea, right? He breaks the rule. Hosea is 14 chapters, and Hosea is also, from the clues that we have in the text, it's one of the earliest of the prophets written, one of the earliest of the minor prophets written. And then it's also written, it's one of two or three of the minor prophets that is written to the northern kingdom of Israel and not the southern kingdom of Israel. Now, if you know your Old Testaments, you know that, uh, that Israel, uh, after uh, the reign of Solomon, there was a, a line of, of wicked kings, And through these wicked kings, the kingdom ended up splitting. And so you had the 11 tribes to the north that were known as Israel, and then you had the one southern tribe, Judah. Now, what was known is that that Judah was typically sought to follow the law, typically sought to follow God's leading, and that Israel typically sought to follow their own way, to go their own way. And so Hosea, he's riding to those 11 11 tribes. He's riding to Israel. This is why uh, he says in here that, I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. But then in verse seven, he says, I will have mercy on the house of Judah. So he's talking about those two different kingdoms here. And so that's the context to which he's writing. So let me encourage you to do this. We don't have time to read every verse of Hosea. Over the next several weeks, we're not gonna read every verse of any of these prophets. But let me encourage you to do this. Take some time this week and read the book of Hosea. In fact, I would encourage you to do this. Take some time this week and read the entire book of Hosea in one sitting. Uh, I think that whenever we read God's word, that not only is he honored, but we are blessed. And so let me encourage you, even if it's just two chapters a day or three chapters a day, you can read the entire book of Hosea in just about 25 minutes. So let me encourage you to to dig into it uh, over the next several days. Now, as we look here in the book of Hosea, it begins with a shock, right? What does the Lord say to Hosea? He says, go and take yourself a wife of whoredom, have children of whoredom, because the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And so he goes and he marries this woman, he goes and marries this woman who is going to be unfaithful, who has already been unfaithful to him, is going to continue to be unfaithful to him, and her name is, maybe you remember, her name is Gomer, Right? Uh, So he goes and he marries Gomer and he has these children. Now, the way that the family is introduced, there's actually some question as to whether or not Hosea was the father of these children or or whether or not other men were the father of these children. And now they have come uh, and Hosea is going to be their father. And, And so he tells Hosea, he says, I want you to name the first son Jezreel. Call his name Jezreel because in just a little while, I'm going to punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. Now, if you were to go back into uh, the book of Kings, what you would see is you would see this story of uh, this great slaughter, this great murder that King Jehu committed against the house of Jezreel. And so he's bringing that back up and he's saying, look, you remember that story? I'm going to have vengeance on Israel because of that story. But it doesn't stop there, right? He says, you're gonna have another child. This daughter, her name's gonna be no mercy because God's mercy is at its end with Israel. But then there's gonna be a third child and that child's name is gonna be not my people because Israel had committed spiritual adultery. So the reason that God tells Hosea to marry Gomer, who is going to be unfaithful, is because their family, their marriage, their entire story is to be a picture of God's relationship with Israel. So that Israel is continually unfaithful, but God is continually faithful. In fact, if we were to keep reading through the first three chapters of Hosea, what we would find is we would find where Hosea goes and he purchases Gomer back. He, he, he buys her back, she's, she's trapped in this slavery, she's trapped in this situation, he goes and he buys her back and he brings her back, because remember, this whole story is about the fact that Israel has been unfaithful, but that God is always faithful, right? And so he goes and he, he pursues this, and so maybe as you're reading this, we, we've heard these first nine verses, you're reading about Hosea going and marrying Gomer, knowing that Gomer is gonna be unfaithful and, and God is saying that you're gonna name this kid Jezreel and you're gonna name this people no mercy and you're, you're gonna name this kid not my people. Well, how is this a picture of God's pursuing love? Well, first, we see a picture of God's pursuing love right off the bat in verse one. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea. This is a picture of God's mercy because the Lord didn't have to come to Hosea, right? He could have left Israel and their rebellion. He could have left Israel and their unfaithfulness. He could have left Israel to continue to rebel against him and offered no mercy and no grace. But that's not what he does. No, he comes and he He starts delivering warnings and he starts revealing to them how have they sinned, how have they rebelled against him, how have they, they turned their backs from him. And so we see this picture of God's pursuing love first in verse 1, but then look at verses 10 and 11 here of chapter 1. He says, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be, remember those are the two kingdoms, right? Shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head and they shall go up from the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. So he's just in the first nine verses, he's laid out this case of why he is going to punish Israel, right? No mercy, not my people, Jezreel. But then here in verses 10 and 11, there's a change. Now, what this change is, is this is God hearkening back to covenantal language. So if you, you read there in verse 10, yet, the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. Where Hosea's original audience would have gone with that and where our minds should go, should go back to God's promise, God's covenant with Abram. Right? God makes a promise that he's gonna, to Abram that he's gonna become Abraham. Abraham's gonna be the father of many nations and that his descendants are going to number more than the stars in the sky, number more than the sand and the seashore. And so what God is doing here in Hosea 1 is he's laying out all the ways that Israel has rebelled against him. And then he says, but I'm gonna remember my covenant. I'm gonna remember my promise. See, that's the way Hosea and Gomer's marriage is a picture of God's relationship with Israel because Hosea, he entered into that marriage covenant with Gomer. And God tells him nothing is going to break that covenant. Gomer's going to be unfaithful time and time and time again, but Hosea is going to keep being faithful. Israel is going to be unfaithful time and time and time again, and God is going to continue being faithful. In fact, God is not just going to continue being faithful. God is going to pursue Israel. Our God is a pursuing God. So though Israel has been unfaithful, God is still faithful. See, God's faithfulness drives him to pursue us in love. That's what God does. God pursues rebels. And that is good news for us today because we all have rebelled against him. We're going to see this in just a minute, that that Israel's rebellion is really no different than our rebellion, and our rebellion is really no different than Israel's rebellion. But that's what God does is he pursues rebels. And so here in the book of Hosea, what we have is we have a picture of the heart of God, that God's heart is not repulsed by rebellion, but God's heart pursues the rebel. That God goes after the rebel. And so when he goes after the rebel and he gathers the rebel home, he doesn't gather the rebel and say, I can't believe you did it again. I can't believe that this is where this went. I can't believe that this is how you are going to repay me. No, God gathers the rebel. he, He brings the rebel in and he offers love and forgiveness and wholeness. See, the point of the book of Hosea is that we are Gomer, but God is faithful. So we've got to be careful that we don't read this book and think, yeah, I know some Gomers, right? We've got to be careful that we don't read this book and think, yeah, I can tell you about some Gomers. Let me tell you about my sister, right? Let me tell you about my Let me tell you about a cousin I've got, right? No, when we read this book, before anyone else is Gomer, I'm Gomer. Before anyone else is Gomer, you're Gomer. We are Gomer. It's easy to read this book and think, yeah, I'm Hosea, right? I'm the faithful one. I'm the one that keeps going after all those Gomers. No, we're Gomer. God is the one who pursues us. God is the one who comes after us. God is the one who saves us. And so we see here in the book of Hosea, we see God's pursuing love, but next we see this, we see our frustrating rebellion. So we've seen that the point of this book is that God's pursuing grace is greater than our persistent rebellion. And so God is the main character. So, so first rule of reading your Bible, you want to read the Bible well, God is always the main character. So if you are tempted to read the Bible and think, yeah, I see myself, you get an F, all right? Uh, That is not, the, the, the main character in the Bible is always God. The main actor in the Bible is always God. Think about the story of David and Goliath. We know that story, David slays Goliath, and maybe we read that as, you know what? I can be David, I can slay the giants of my life. No, in that story, we're Israel that's hiding in the tent. God is David. Jesus is David who goes and slays the giant, right? Jesus slays the giant of sin and death and crushes the serpent's head, right? That's why David goes and he cuts off Goliath's head. He cuts off Goliath's head because in Genesis 3, right, God said that one day the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. And and, and so David is a picture of that seed, but he's ultimately pointing us to Jesus, and so when we read the Bible, we've got to make sure that we're not reading ourselves into the story incorrectly, that, that God is the main character, but here's the thing, we're in the book, right? We are not ignored. And so we see in this book our frustrating rebellion, and you might say, but Ethan, this is about Israel. This isn't about me, this isn't about us. Well, first, we've already mentioned Second Timothy 3, that all of God's word is for us to encourage and equip, to train and correct, to rebuke. But here's the other thing, we might not be tempted. Remember, Israel's main problem, Israel's greatest problem, and this is really their problem all through the Old Testament, Israel's problem is idolatry. That's what's happening. We're going to see here in just a minute how, how Israel was going after idols. They were going after the idols of the nations. We might not be tempted to go after wooden idols of other nations, but we are no less tempted to go after the idols of our own making. But we're no less tempted to go after the idols of really our own nation. Now, our idols might not be like Israel's, but here's the thing. That's what makes them all the more dangerous. See, see, we're not tempted to go after little pieces of wood and stone that someone has carved and set on a stool and said, you should worship him. We're not tempted to give our hearts to that thing. But here's what we are tempted to. We're tempted to give our hearts to health, wealth, and prosperity, right? We're tempted to do whatever it takes to make a little more money, to get a little more comfortable, to to get a little more pleasure, or a little more this, or a, a little more that. See, idolatry is not first and foremost, a matter of something that is built or something that is in front of us. Idolatry, first and foremost, is a matter of the heart. And so anything that we love, anything that we adore, and anything that we pursue more than God is an idol. Now here's the scary thing about this, is that means that good things can turn into idols quickly. Good gifts can turn into idols quickly. Husband, if you're looking for your wife to satisfy your every need, you are going to be let down over and over and over again. Because you and I were not designed to be ultimately satisfied by our wife. We were ultimately designed to be satisfied by our God. If you think that you're going to find your ultimate satisfaction in your kids or in your job, or in your hobbies, or in your toys, you are ultimately going to be let down. Because if you give your life, if you give your heart to pursuing those things, those things are ultimately going to leave you alone. They're they're ultimately going to leave you heartbroken. And so we've got to beware of pursuing all of these other things at the expense of our God. Flip with me to to chapter 9. Let me encourage you over the next couple of weeks to bring your Bible so that you can look and see. We're going to jump around through uh, these verses. So look at chapter 9 and verse 10. Like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. This is God speaking. Like the first fruit on the fig tree in its first season, I saw your father's. But they came to Baal Peor and consecrated themselves to the thing of shame and became detestable like the thing they loved. Now, this is poetry. What God is saying is he's saying that that these grapes and these figs that he found in Israel, that... That was the faithfulness of earlier generations. But now they've given themselves to Baal Peor, which is a false god, right? It is an idol. And they consecrated themselves to the thing of shame. And look at how he ends it. They became detestable like the thing they loved. See, here's the truth. You become what you worship. You become what you behold. And so if we are constantly gazing at, constantly looking at this thing or that thing, if we're constantly looking at anything other than King Jesus, then we are going to be disappointed and we are ultimately going to end up frustrated with ourselves. So you become what you behold. That's what Israel had done. Flip over to chapter 11 in verse 2. We see Israel's idolatry in the face of God's love. Look at verse two. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and and burning offerings to idols. Listen, the more they were called, the more they went away. In other words, the more that God pursued, the harder they ran. The more God loved, the more they rebelled. Now, it's not that different from us that that Israel had peace and prosperity, and yet they were totally spiritually bankrupt. At this point in Israel's history, this is potentially the most prosperous time they'd experienced since the reign of Solomon. They were happy. They were comfortable. They didn't have to worry about other kingdoms trying to infiltrate them, because here's the thing. They didn't realize it, but the other kingdoms already had. They, They were already worshiping these false gods. Israel had all they needed. Why would they need God? Their idols were providing for them. They they didn't need God because they had everything that they needed. They were happy. They were safe. They were secure. They were comfortable. I, I wonder what other nation that sounds like. Happy, safe secure. You might say, oh, Ethan, you haven't seen gas prices lately. Well, I have. But brothers and sisters, if our biggest problem is gas prices, we're blessed, right? We're happy, we're safe, we're secure. And I think it's fair to say that as a nation, we are almost entirely spiritually bankrupt. That we have pursued idols that are never going to satisfy us. And here's the scary thing. Those of us in this room are not immune. All of us, me included, are tempted to pursue idols that will never satisfy. I was reminded this week of an interview that I saw with Tom Brady several years ago. Now, some of you, when I say Tom Brady, you're automatically angry, right? Uh, some of you are excited, but I, I think it's fair to say, some of you don't even know who Tom Brady is, right? Which is, which is fine. It's still the illustration holds. So Tom Brady, it is fair to say, it is safe to say that, that Tom Brady is potentially the greatest quarterback to ever play in the NFL. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tom Brady, he, at 27 years old, now, now he's, got, he's got way more rings than this today, but at 27 years old, he, had, he already had three Super Bowl rings. And, and so he's on 60 Minutes, and, and the interviewer asked him, he says, what does it feel like? You've made it to the top of the mountain three times. And, and at this point, Brady's stock was only going up. This is is what Brady said. This is an exact quote. He said, I reached my goal, my dream, my life. But me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Tom Brady, a millionaire, Super Bowl rings, married to a supermodel, has everything going for him, lacks nothing. He has achieved the dream. And he gets to the top of the mountain, and what does he say? It's got to be more than this. This can't be all it's cracked up to be. That's what idols do. Idols promise you that when you make it to the top, It'll be everything you wanted and more. And then you get to the top and you realize this can't be it. More often than not, you achieve what the idol promised and you realize that rather than pleasure and comfort and happiness, all that idol has given you is pain. All that idol has given you is heartache. All that idol has given you is heartbreak. And so we see not just Israel's frustrating rebellion, but we see our frustrating rebellion. And then finally, we see this, and if we don't go quickly, they're gonna throw me off the stage. We see God's gracious invitation. God's gracious invitation. The, the bad news is bad, but it so often is true in the Bible, the good news is better. God doesn't leave us. He doesn't see our rebellion and leave us. What does he do? He pursues us. So look at, look at Hosea chapter 6. We're going to read the, the first three verses here in Hosea 6. So Hosea speaking. He says, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let's stop right there. Who else do you know that on the third day rose again? Right, that, That's where Hosea is going here. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. So what Hosea is saying, he's saying, look, let us come back to the Lord. There's an invitation to return. And if we'll come back, he'll give us a resurrection. And if we'll come back, he'll let us press on to know him. Because his going out as sure as the dawn. He'll, he'll come to us as the showers, as the, the spring rains that water the earth. In other words, if we will return to the Lord, he will give us life. Now look at verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us, that he may heal us. He, he has struck us down, and he will bind us up. What he's saying there is he's saying, Israel, the reason that we are encountering, the reason we are experiencing the pain and the struggle that they're beginning to experience under this new king that they have it is because God is trying to wake them up, right? He's torn them so that he may heal them. He, he's, he's inflicted pain, not as punishment, but as help, as a wake-up call. That biopsy inflicts pain but that biopsy that pain lets us know what is really there God has torn us so that we can see what's really there but notice that it doesn't say he's torn us and he's punishing us no he says he's torn us why that he may heal us He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Well, who else is it that on the third day rose again so that we might live? It's Jesus, right? See, Hosea is giving us a picture of the gospel here. He can issue this call because he knows God's heart. He remembers God's covenant that there's always time to return to the Lord. Flip to the end of the book to chapter 14. And look at verse four. So it was Hosea speaking in chapter six, now it's God speaking in chapter four. He says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely for my anger has turned from them. I will be like dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall be spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Look at these promises. The Lord had never stopped loving Israel. But what he's promising is that if they will return to him, if they will repent and turn back to him, that he's going to love them without the threat of judgment. He says, I'll heal their apostasy. I'll I'll love them freely. My anger will turn from them. He says, I'll be like the dew to Israel. Dew was one of the main sources of water for the crops of the time. He says, he'll blossom like the lily. Lilies were known for their beauty. He'll he'll take root like the trees of Lebanon. Those trees were known for their majesty. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive. So what he's saying there is that Israel is going to do what Israel was created to do, that they are going to spread God's glory across the earth. And his beauty shall be like the olive. The olive was known uh, as a symbol of prosperity and a symbol of strength. And so then he gives this idea. He says, they'll return and they'll dwell beneath my shadow and flourish like the grain they shall blossom like the vine. He, he gives this picture of a garden. You know anything else about a garden in the Bible? Anything else about a garden in the Old Testament? Right, Genesis 1. What he's saying is that God is going to restore all that Israel lost. That God is going to make a way for everything that they lost to be returned to them. Maybe you've, you've seen burning of underbrush before I, I grew up in the woods and so it wasn't uncommon for us to, to drive through and uh, to see landowners or the forestry service burning the underbrush. So, so they're burning the weeds and the bushes and the thistles and, and all of that. They're burning it to go away and for a while it looks black and desolate but it doesn't take long for green, new, healthy growth to begin sprouting, right? What God is saying, is saying, Israel, we've got to burn out all of that idolatry, all of that underbrush that's that's hindering you so that righteousness can blossom. Their idolatry has to die so that the fruit of their repentance can flourish. Now this book, Hosea, is a scandalous book. But the scandal is not in Hosea and Gomer's marriage. The scandal is in the fact that we have a God that in spite of our unfaithfulness constantly pursues us. You have a God that even right now is pursuing your heart. You have a God who even right now is willing to turn his face and to forgive your sin and to offer you a relationship with him. This is his offer for us today. Now marriage has always been a picture of our relationship with God. In fact, Paul says that the point of marriage, the reason that marriage exists is as a picture of the gospel. If we were to fast forward to the New Testament, we read in Ephesians where Paul says that the church is the bride of Christ. What we see is that the church is the bride of Christ who stumbles and who turns. What Paul goes on to say in Ephesians is that Jesus is the Savior who has laid down his life for his bride, that he saves and he redeems. And so God invites us to that forgiveness that only Jesus secures. His whole book is about God's pursuing grace being greater than our persistent rebellion. Here's the truth. The question is not if we will wander from the Lord. The question is what will we do when we realize we have? See, and God says to us the same thing that he said to Israel. Come home. Maybe remember that song, ye who are weary, come home. That's what God is calling you to do today. Maybe say, Ethan, I, I feel, I, I can tell that I have wandered. God is calling you to come home. Say, Ethan, I, I trusted Jesus at one point, but, but I've, I've been wandering away. Well, God's calling you to come home. Maybe say, "Even I've never trusted Jesus. I've never given my life. I don't understand all of this thing that you're talking about. This, this Jesus that you're talking about, this Jesus that we're talking about, he has made a way for you not only to be forgiven in a way that Israel really could never experience, he's made a way for you to be forgiven, for you to be made whole, and for you to have joy. He's, he's made a way for you to have life. See, by his death on the cross, Jesus took God's wrath, and he was laid in a tomb, and three days later, he rose again, and he conquered sin, and he he conquered death, and now any who place their hope and their trust in him, you know what they get to do? They get to come home. That's what ultimately Hosea is calling us to do. Hosea is calling us to come home. He's calling you to come home. We're going to sing a song here in just a minute. It happens to be one of my favorite hymns, Come Thou Fount. And there's a, a line in it where it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. I, I don't know anyone who has followed Jesus for any length of time who hasn't experienced that, right? that prone to wander. We're prone to wander because we are constantly fighting that sin in our life and we're, we're constantly fighting against the sin that is around us. It's prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And then he says, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. See, what seals our hearts for God's glory is that God has pursued us, he has loved us, he has saved us, and he has sealed us. And so if you've never encountered, if you've never experienced that pursuing love of God, then we want to invite you to do that today. We want to invite you to experience God's pursuing love. See, the reason that you are here today is not an accident. The reason that you are here today is because God is pursuing you. The reason that he has brought you here today is because he's coming after you. He is what one poet called the hound of heaven. He's pursuing you. And so maybe you say, Ethan, I need to talk to someone. I, I, I don't know what to do. I need to talk to someone about how do I give my life? How do I, how do I trust this God who's coming after me? Well, we've got a couple ways. You can send a text. We'll throw the number on the screen here in just a minute to 407-338-4024. You can just say, I need to talk to someone about following Jesus. Or you can walk right out these doors and You can go to our Next Steps room. It's right there on the right. And there are people in there who are ready to to talk with you and pray with you about following Jesus. I hope that you will answer God's pursuing call today. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, thank you that you have come after us. Thank you that that you have come to us. Father, I pray that we wouldn't take this moment for granted. God, I pray that we wouldn't take your grace for granted. But God, that we we would come home. God, that we we would trust in the grace that Jesus has offered us. That we would recognize our rebellion, but we would we would see and we would taste and we experience and, and we would believe in your gracious pursuit of our hearts. And so, Father, I pray that, that for the Christian who, who, who maybe feels like they've wandered away, may, maybe feels like their, their heart has been tugged in other directions, God, I, I pray that today that they would know your grace. God, I, I pray that today that, that they would be reminded that there is always time, there is always a way to come home. And God, I, I pray for maybe the, the one who, who has never given their heart, never given their life to you, never put their hope and their trust in you, God. I pray that even now that you, you would call them home. It's in your name that we pray. You. Thank you again for listening to Central Church Podcast. For more information on how you can take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.